Father, it is so good to be among your people. It is so good to be in this place, and we are so thankful for your presence in our lives. Help us to see just how very real you are, how very close you are, and how you are with us in every moment of every day and all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's a story, uh, an old story. It's part of the, the, uh, the, the earliest part of, of Scripture. It's a story about a man named Elijah. You may have heard me reference that a little earlier, talking about Anita and her strange ability to pray rain away, or I guess now pray rain upon the day. Uh, but Elijah, Elijah was this hero prophet, this incredible guy who had crazy connection with God. Like <clears throat> he prayed one time that it wouldn't rain and it didn't just like not rain that night. It didn't rain for three years until he finally said, God, we'd ready for rain again. And it rained again. He's also the same guy who said, we have this massive battle happening for the heart of Israel between, uh, between Yahweh, their God, and between this imposter Baal who is moving in. And he said, we need a moment to decide who we are. And so he goes up on Mount Carmel, he challenges 400 prophets of Baal to meet him on the mountain for this epic contest for the heart of Israel. The challenge is to create an offering, to build the altar, put the animal there, and then to see which God sends the fire down to consume the altar. And so the prophets of Baal go first, and, and like I said, Elijah's kind of this dude you just don't want to mess with, he's a little bit crazy, and so they start first. They start praying and dancing and singing and cutting themselves and trying to get Baal to send down fire, and nothing's happening. So Elijah, I kind of like it, he, like, he starts to mock them. He's like, hey, maybe your God's in the bathroom. Yell louder. Maybe he can't see what you're doing. Dance harder. Cut yourself more. Let's see what happens. Nothing happens. He says a prayer, and so not only can he apparently call down water from heaven, he calls down fire from heaven, consumes the offering, and he says, let's take this one step further. And he has all 400 of the prophets of Baal slaughtered, killed. As it turns out, the queen of Israel at the time had placed those 400 prophets of Baal there. She was in favor of their presence, so wasn't really happy with Elijah. He hears word. She sends word. Listen, may the gods deal with me ever so severely if I don't kill you by tomorrow night. And you think Elijah was like, so? Bring it. Instead, he gets scared and starts running. His servant chasing behind him. He starts running, running away. He runs and runs and runs and runs, not like for a mile not for two miles. He runs all day long until he gets to Beersheba. Then he tells the servant to stop. You stay here. And he hikes two more days into the desert until finally he just collapses. So he just collapsed under this broom bush, this kind of big bush that provided some shade. He just kind of collapses under it and falls asleep. An angel wakes him up and says, hey, I need you to eat something. And he eats something and he goes back to sleep. 
And he, and he wakes up and he eats something and he goes back to sleep. And he does this three times and then he says, okay, go to Mount Horeb. And he, and he goes on this 40-day trek to the mountain. And we find in 1 Kings chapter 19 the story and it, and it begins like this. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? He says, I've been very zealous for you, God. But, but, but your people, the Israelites, they've rejected you and your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They put, put your prophets to death with a sword. I'm the only one left. God, I am the only one left who cares anything about what you're trying to do here. Now they're trying to kill me too. So when sabbatical began eight weeks ago, sabbatical is just a fancy word for a break. To breathe and reconnect and rejuvenate is, I felt like Elijah. There was a lot of really beautiful things happening at Hydrant. And over the last seven years, it has been this remarkable series of things that God has done and continues to do in, in lives, in your lives, in my life. But I couldn't see any of it because I was running. I was running and running and running too hard for too long. I just ran. I took on every emotional burden that was mine to carry and wasn't mine to carry. Took on every project and every plan and every need. And I would say things like, well, if it doesn't, if I don't do it, it's not going to get done. Anybody else ever thought that, said that? If you have, you're wrong, and so was I. Maybe it doesn't need to be done or not by you, or not right now. But I was running, and I was worn out, collapsed, really, a few months before. But I did the same thing that Elijah did. The very people that were there to help, I left them behind and kept going into the desert alone. Didn't share the story, didn't share what I was going through, didn't invite anybody to help carry it, or do it, or solve it for it. It was mine. And so I carried it until it collapsed. Because all I could see was the negative. Elijah just like prayed for rain and saw it start to rain after three years of drought. He had just won this decisive victory for God and for the people of God. Saying 400, he was like a hero. And he looked around and he said, God, nobody cares about you but me. I'm in this all alone. They're trying to kill me. This, this queen's trying to kill me. Everybody else, it's just me. And he couldn't see anything. Was good. All he could see was the negative. It's like we talked about a minute ago. Like he was seeing the problems instead of seeing Jesus through it all. And that's what I was doing. And so I began sabbatical as a way of going up to the mountain, going up to the cave, and just was looking for God. That's, that's what I was looking for. I was looking for a God moment, right? Like, have you ever heard that language? God 
moment. I was looking for one of those moments when God shows up and shows off. I was looking for those, those moments when you know He's real, these epiphanies, these revelations, these moments. Maybe you've had one. Maybe it was at a, a big Christian conference or a marriage day, or maybe it was in one of those services, and it was just that moment. I was looking for one of those to just kind of be this spiritual reset button, to get me back on track, just God, show up. I want to see you. I need, to, I need one of those moments. And so I did the things that I had done before that worked. Right? Like I went to the beach. Because like seven years ago when we started Hydrant, there was this moment at the beach where God started talking to me about the waves and, and what would happen at Hydrant. And, I, and, I, and so I was like, well, I'll go back there. And I stood at the beach and I sat at the beach day all day until the sun set and it was dark and cold. And there was nothing. A lot of times for me, it's reading. Reading, reading these inspiring stories or, or getting deep into theology or studies or maybe that's what I need. And so I, I read, I read like six or seven books. I read, you know, uh, Garden City about work and rest. I read this this book by this old rabbi about Sabbath, and I read books about stories of what God is doing and where God is, and I, and I read, and I read, and nothing. And so maybe it was a worship service. We went, and we went and visited, like, the fastest-growing church in North Carolina that's part of our denomination. I mean, they've it's incredible, like a thousand people, and just thought, man, we get into this space with lots of people, and we're worshiping, and, and maybe then I'll just, I'll, I'll feel God, like, nothing, nothing. I went looking for top moment, so, so I went literally to the mountains, to the top of the mountain. Do you know what mountaintops are good for? Not a lot. Seeing where you're going next, maybe, because nothing grows on the mountain. Nothing happens in the mountains, like on the top of the mountain. It's just cold and miserable and rocky. But I was looking for what I thought was a mountaintop moment, like that was what I needed. And it was, it was nothing. I went out on the lake and fished and just sat. It was hot, and there was nothing but bugs and fish. Did catch fish every time. Just nothing. I mean, it's kind of what Elijah experiences up there in the cave. If we read more in First Kings 19, it says this. It says, the Lord said, go and... Stand at the mountain in the presence, in my presence, I'm going to pass by. Like, you're, you're just going to see where I was. <laughs> you're going to see where I was, which is what I was, I was going to where he was, looking for where he is. <laughs> and then a great and powerful wind shook the mountains, tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. 
He went looking in all of the same places God had been. He had led Israel out of Egypt with a pillar of fire. Surely he would be in the fire. When he gave, the, when he gave them the Ten Commandments, the mountains shook. Surely he would be in the, in the earthquake, the shaking of the mountains. It wasn't there. I mean, there's, a, there's the Hebrew word ruach. It means breath. It means wind. It means spirit. It is the Spirit of God. And, and he wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the Ruach. That's the way I felt like, God, where are you? And it says, after the earthquake came a fire. The Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And that whisper said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? As I came to the end of the sabbatical, I heard a whisper. What are you doing here? I pretty much said the same thing he did. Well, I'm looking for you. But you're nowhere to be found. I mean, you gave and needed the whole storm thing in the mountain. Where were you? Where, what about me? And he's whispering. I'm like, where, where were you? He says, remember at the beach. And the waves and sitting there, I was there. Do you remember that quiet time alone with your coffee as you were writing? Writing that book, 62,000 words, 200 and I don't know how many pages. And you were remembering the stories, and the things I taught you, I was there. Remember laughing with your kids? I was there. Remember those conversations on the porch? Can't you see I was there? On the roller coasters and in the mountains and in the valleys when you were running. If you look back when you were running, I was there. He said, you've imagined me You've talked about me as if I was a God who was out there somewhere who occasionally comes to where you are to do a God-like thing and then leave. He says, but that's not who I am. He says, I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm ahead of you. You've never been without me. You've never had to do anything alone, even when you tried. And I've always been pulling you in the direction I wanted you to go, always out ahead. And he kept whispering. It got me to think about this story and in mind of somebody was like, why is he whispering? I mean, I hear all these voices yelling at me all the time. Not literally, Anita doesn't yell at me. We don't yell much? No. 
But I hear these voices that, that seem to be constantly filling my mind of who I need to be and expectations and what I have to do. And, and I hear them and I, and I hear them and I hear them. And they're so loud. They're so loud. Sometimes they're so loud they keep me awake at night or wake me up in the morning or distract me in the middle of my work or a meal. And I hear them. And it reminded me of the story and asked Noah if I could share it when he was in kindergarten. First day of kindergarten. Time for P.E. and you imagine 100, 155-year-olds who've never been confined to a desk for the day now given a little bit of freedom in a big gym. It was insanity. And the coach was doing what he knew to do to try to get their attention. He starts to yell. Well, Noah had not really accustomed to adults who yell. He was a little overwhelmed. Started to cry. So the teacher took him to the office and, and he called Anita and Anita, in just this pure moment of genius, says, no, when people yell, it's a lot like thunder. It's really loud, and it can be a little bit scary for a minute, but the only people yell who yell are those who feel like they've got no other way to make what they want happen. It's really empty, and it can't hurt you. The people who are yelling, the voices we hear so loudly, they're so loud because they're far away and they are trying to get control of you. But when we whisper, Noah, come here. When we whisper, you can do this. Nobody can see it. When we whisper, Whisper from far away. You won't be hurt. But when you're close, we whisper. You can feel. When I really need my kids' attention, I whisper. They're forced to listen, to focus, to hear. Sophia, I have to whisper a lot to Sophia. <laughs> when she was three, and you've heard the story, she's dancing and singing, ignoring what I've asked her to do, simply move a chair. We're taking toys out of her room for 30 minutes till everything she owns is piled in my room and in my way now. And she's crying and dancing and whatever else. And finally, I get down on one knee and get real close, and I whisper. Daddy needs you to do this. Okay, Dad. And she did it. God whispers to us because he's close enough to whisper. He whispers to us because what he has to say is important. And so he whispered. To me, he whispered words from Paul's letter to the Colossians in, in chapter 1, 
He said, my son is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, and all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood. Shed on the cross. Now there are layers upon layers of ancient stories underneath that passage or for another day. But there was a moment in time when Jesus' death on a cross changed everything. Going back further in history than that, we as human beings to live kind of agricultural lives. Dependent on things like rain and sun that we knew we didn't control. There must be something, someone else who controls those. And we found hills and those high places must be the places where those who control these things live. So we took offerings in the hopes that they would bless us with rain and sun at the right times and we would survive. And before long, we built tents as homes for those God and a temple. It was a place where holy things were, where God was. And in the center of the temple, the people of Yahweh, there was this place called the Holy of Holies. It was a throne for God made from the ark that held the box that held the covenant that he first made, the Ten Commandments. And was God's place, the holiest of holy places, the place where heaven and earth began to blend together. And when he died on the cross, the curtain, the extremely thick curtain that separated the holy of holies from all that was common, tour and we discovered a God who is in all and through all and for all and that every ordinary thing that we thought was so common and mundane is holy because the presence of God is there there was a moment in time where the patriarch of God's people, the, the one who rescues them from Israel by God's hand is encountered by God at a bush that's burning but not burning up. And as he gets close, he takes off his shoes because this place is holy. And it's holy because God is there. And what we see happening in Christ, what we see happening in Paul's letter, what we see happening is that presence of God is everywhere and every place is holy. 
Every conversation is sacred. Every meal is communion. Every moment of every day is no longer ordinary. There is not secular and sacred. Every ordinary moment is sacred. All of them. All of life is holy. And we went through this whole human evolution of religion to, so that by understanding that some places can be holy, we discover that every place is really holy. And we couldn't understand that at first. And so we don't have to judge that, but simply realize God is in all. It's all been created through him and for him. He holds it all together. He is with you and he is for you. He's out ahead of you. And more than anything, as I look back over these eight weeks, so all of these holy moments, because every moment is a God moment. So we wanted to share with you, because the way that you blessed us in making this sabbatical possible, to share some of those holy moments with you in this quick, like, one-minute video of holy moments. Every moment is holy. There's an uh, author that I love that a lot of people call a heretic, so I won't tell you his name, but he wrote these words. Our days can early, easily become a blur, the parts and pieces blending together, all of it losing its connection and depth and significance. They get cut off from any sense that there's way more going on here. So that a tree is just a tree and a conversation, merely a succession of words, a song, simply noise in the background, a job, just a way to get a paycheck until all of it is reduced to what, is, what it is at the surface, shallow level, separated from the source. When we talk about God, we're talking about the Jesus who comes to reunite and reconnect us with the sacred depth and the holiness and the significance and the meaning of every moment of every day. And when we gather to worship, we gather to remind ourselves that every moment is holy. 
When we gather to eat, we remind ourselves that every meal is holy. When we set apart some moments, they're not because those moments are holy, but because they remind us that every moment is holy. That as he, as he wants us to see ourselves as made holy by his presence, to see our, our job as sacred, our kids as sacred, your meals, every moment is holy. So as you get ready tonight, parents, to make that lunch, and you think, I've only got 179 more of these this year, see their holiness, see the act of love. The reflection of God's provision in that little act. See the, the holiness of every handshake and hug and laughter on your way out. The beauty of every moment. Don't be running and running and running and running and running until you collapse before God Get your attention. Let's slow down and breathe. It doesn't depend on us. It'll get done eventually if it matters. Hold on to relationships, to connections, to conversations. Be present in that moment, each moment. And enjoy the beauty of all that is holy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for just these simple reminders that sometimes we miss. We don't see you as in all. We don't see that your presence is spilled out all over creation. And by simply being present, you make all things holy. God, that... Help us to see just how sacred these ordinary things are. Help us to see your presence around the table and in conversations. Help us to see how you're using our work for your purposes and glory. And may we see you through it all and continue to praise you knowing you're walking with us. And there will be those moments when we're especially aware that you're close and others where it'll be a challenge. But teach us, teach us with those big moments to see that you are always there. We don't even have to ask you to go with us because we know you already are. We don't have to ask you to be with us because we know that you are. We don't have to ask for your favor because you've already given it. So would you make us aware, help us to see, to remember, and to know. In Jesus' name, amen.